Jesus Messiah, he is the Lord of all, isn't he? And uh, I think that is wonderful. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. We've been studying through some of the parables, and I hope that you've been able to get just a little picture into the heart of Jesus and who he is and what's important to him. And uh, this is our last Sunday. We're going to be stepping out of the parables this Sunday, uh, or after this Sunday. I'm going to, uh, after Easter, begin a study on First and Second Thessalonians and work through those books. They're great books. Um, Thessalonica, the, the first Thessalonians, was probably about the first book that Paul wrote, the, the first letter that he wrote to a church. But here was a church where Paul administered. He'd probably been there, we figure, about three weeks, you know, three Sabbaths, and yet he planted such an amazing church and believers. But they had a lot of questions, and so Paul was answering those questions and that's what we're going to get into, and we'll talk about a number of different things in Paul's attitude in his ministry there. He says, I came to you as a mother and as a father, and, and uh, they had questions about what their life should be, and they had questions about the future. There were people that had already died and what was going to happen to them now that they were dead and Jesus wasn't back yet. And so we'll get into some study on the rapture and some of the future things that are going on. So uh, I, I'm excited about the study. I think it's going to be a good one, and, and I really encourage you to be uh, here and be part of that. Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at the first through the 24th verses this morning, so we'll be moving rather rapidly through this. But uh, there are actually a number of lessons that Jesus taught. Have, have you ever thought about the best times for teaching in the home? You know, just that impromptu time when you begin to share things and interact on things. Uh, of course, if you have little ones, uh, when you go to bed, they have lots of questions. And if you have prayer time and you study the Bible together, uh, that opens up an opportunity for, for talking and sharing with them. But I thought back and I, and I realized that probably, and I think Jesus understood this, one of the best times we have for uh, interaction and teaching us at home is during the dinner hour while we're sitting down to eat. Uh, somehow eating just opens up conversation. And if you just turn off the TV, you put aside all the phones and Facebook and whatever, Twitter, whatever else you're on, so that you're not sitting there doing this while you're eating, and you talk, it opens up all kinds of opportunities to share. Uh, you may talk about, if you've got a family, what the kids have been doing and what's going on at school, if they're going to a public school or what they're learning in, in their classes, or you can talk about um, things you already saw on TV that maybe need to be discussed or relationships, how we're getting along. Uh, I, I think the dinner time is an ideal time to begin to share with one another and so I hope that you make that a priority, that you, uh, you make sure you have that time as a family at least several times during the week to just sit down. I know it doesn't always work out with our busy schedules anymore, um, but it's an important time for us as, uh, as Christians. And uh, so I encourage you to take that time and, and be together. Uh, Jesus seemed to have that understanding. He, he knew that it was important for him to get together and you know, I look at Jesus, he had a number of invitations to go to dinner. We're going to see that here. But he would have invitations from sinners. You know, there was Matthew. He, he came to follow Jesus and immediately had him over. And he was having his friends who were tax collectors and sinners. And they were coming in. And Pharisees, of course, got all uptight about that because Jesus shouldn't be spending time with them. But, 
uh, he was. He sometimes ate with good friends. You remember the uh, the meal of Mary and Martha and the things they learned there and the things that were taking place there. And, and those were times when Jesus taught. And he also went with the Pharisees who were, well, there was a controversial relationship between Jesus and them. They, they weren't in agreement. Uh, so there was controversy and there was struggle. And yet he would use these times to teach. And that's what happens here in Luke chapter 14 is Jesus is going to dinner. And I want to pass this along as well. I, I think we need to learn this. If anybody asks you to dinner, go. That's what Jesus did. I don't think he ever passed up on an invitation. He always went to dinner with whoever invited him, whether they were his best friends or the individuals that he was struggling with. And as we come to Luke chapter 14, I want to just read this first verse. There's about... Uh, Three issues I want to share with you this morning. The last one we're going to break down a little more. But it says in verse 1 of chapter 14, it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders, one of the prime leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread. It was their Sabbath day. It was their holy day. They had set it aside. They weren't to work. They weren't to be doing anything else. They were watching him closely. And uh, it was just the idea that I think they had him in with ulterior motives. They really wanted to catch Jesus doing something that wasn't right, you know, that didn't fit with the Pharisaic ideas of their laws and their rules and their regulations. And in verse 2, we see that they kind of set a trap, or at least I believe that's the case. It says, there in front of them was a man suffering from dropsy. Now, we don't use that term very often. But it means that there was water retention, fluid retention in his body. His arms were probably swollen. His legs were swollen. It may have been because his kidneys weren't functioning well or the liver. There was a problem. Uh, One person said it may have been that he had cancer. And uh, those are things that we understand today. You can go and talk to your nephrologist about your kidneys and you can deal with your liver and all of these things. But uh, here was this man. And I have an idea that it was too coincidental that he showed up. It may have been that he just showed up because Jesus was there. But in all probability, I would guess that maybe the Pharisees brought him. They didn't really have much compassion for him. They weren't concerned about him. They wanted to use him as a tool to catch Jesus. Would Jesus be compassionate and heal? which would be against their Sabbath rules, or would he say, no, I'm not going to heal you today. You've got to come back tomorrow. That's Monday or Sunday, I guess. And, and I'm not going to heal you because that's against our Sabbath laws. And then he wouldn't be compassionate. And they were watching him closely. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. They wanted to catch him in an air. And there in front of him was that man who was suffering from dropsy. And in verse 3 it says, Jesus answered, and he spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. And I love this because Jesus turned the tables on them. Jesus put them on the spot rather than being on the spot himself. And he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they kept silent. Because, you see, if they said it was, then they would be breaking the Sabbath laws. But if it said that he should heal, that would break the law. But if he shouldn't, then he wasn't compassionate, and they weren't compassionate, and they were kind of caught in their own trap. 
and they weren't sure what to say, so they kept silent, and he took hold of him, and he healed him, and he sent him away. And he said to them, and listen to what Jesus did, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they couldn't make a reply to this, because you see, they would have done that. Um, he said, you're, you're more concerned with your ox, and in another translation it says, an ox and a donkey, he says, you're more concerned with your animals than you are about people made in the image of God. Do you have compassion? Do you care about people? And, and to have said no wouldn't have been good. What's more important to us today? What do we deem as important? I think as I listen to people that oftentimes we're more concerned about animals than we are about people that are created in God's image. And I know that God created Adam and he put him in the garden and he told him he was to be responsible for the creation and he's to take care of the creation and the animals within the creation. We have that responsibility. But I think sometimes we mess up our priorities and we fail to have the compassion on those who are hurting and struggling and minister to their needs but we are very concerned about our animals. Now, I've got to tell you what. I've got two dogs, and we love our dogs. And they don't miss a meal. They make sure they don't miss a meal. They tell me if there's no food. But one author I was reading said, in America, we spend more on dog food than we do world missions. I'm not saying don't take care of your animals. I believe we should. But we need to stop and ask ourselves, what's important? What's the priority? And that's, that's what had come up in this interaction Jesus was having with the Pharisees. And then he turned and he began to teach them. And he began to teach, first of all, those who were the guests there. And beginning in verse 7, he talked about the importance of being humble, of humility, because he had seen things going on. Verse 7, it says, he began to speak a parable to the invited guests. When he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the tables, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, if you've been invited to this great feast that may go on for a week, he says, don't take the place of honor. Don't immediately sit in the best seat. Don't sit next to the host. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him as well. And, and I put that in there. Both are invited, but one was more important than the other. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you grace, you proceed to occupy the last place. For when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has, been invited, who has invited you comes, he may say to you, oh, friend, move up higher. You don't have to be back here. You're more important than this. And then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. And for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And this is the key verse. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
uh, it, it must have been an interesting thing. Here were these men, and they were all in their robes. They were the Pharisees. They were the intelligentsia. They were the businessmen. They were the ones who had it together. But when they came to a feast like that, they wanted to be seen as important. And so they'd come in, and I would imagine it was like what Jesus was talking about. They were all sitting there because he was watching them. Do you notice how he turned the tables in verse 1? They were watching Jesus in verse 7. Jesus is watching them. I thought that was kind of interesting. But they came in, and when it was time to sit down, immediately they began to scramble. One person said the most important seat was the one next to the host. Another one said that you would go to a, a, a dinner and, and there would be four sides and three chairs on each side, or they weren't really chairs, they were couches they reclined on. And, and the most important one was a center one. And so here are these guys, and they're all, you know, they may be 30, 40, 50 years of age, and they're scrambling to get into one, kind of like playing musical chairs. Uh, I want to get at the best seat. I want to be there. And Jesus said, that's not the way it ought to be. For if you sit in the best seat, there may be someone that the host sees as more important, and he'll come and say, would you move over here, please, so that this person can sit in that seat? And how embarrassing that's going to be. How difficult that will be for you. The key is that we humble ourselves in serving the Lord. We don't rush to be seen as great, but rather we let ourselves be brought low that we might be brought up. You know, I thought about Bible characters. It says here in the 11th verse, for everyone who exalts himself, everyone who wants to look good will, and this is future, be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. In one passage of Scripture, it says that when we look to be exalted on earth, (laughs) we've got our reward. We don't get it in heaven. If we look to not be exalted here, but just to do the job or whatever, then we're exalted in heaven. It's, It's the future goal that we have. And I thought of all the Bible characters and how many of them were humble in in what they did. I thought about Joseph and how humble he was as he began to serve God as a slave. But you know, Joseph didn't start out humble. He started out a little bit proud, telling his brothers that they were going to be bowing down to him, sharing with them the dreams that he had had. And Joseph, I think, had to be broken before he could be used effectively by God. And sometimes that's what happens with us. We go through the hard times. We go through the pain. There's a breaking of our spiritual lives that we might serve God better. Moses was the same way. He was very proud. For 40 years, he lived in the home of Pharaoh. He thought he could go out and deliver the Israelites by himself and ended up living on the backside of the desert as a shepherd for 40 more years. And when God used him, he was broken. He was humbled. David was much the same way in the things he had gone through that he could be used of God. Daniel was another one who went as a humble individual, a slave taken to Babylon and became the second person in command there. And I thought about Paul and his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and how God humbled him before he could be used effectively. And all of them, or at least most of them, were broken in some way and humbled that they could serve God 
Albert Einstein made a, a statement. He said, try not to become a man of success. Selfish ambition is what he's talking about. Try not to become a man of success. Try to become a man of value. Seek to be a person of value. A man's worth is not based on his position or his title or the applause of people. It is based on his Christian character and his relationship to God. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. But that idea of pride, which was really a problem for the Pharisees, needed to be dealt with if they were to be used by God. And so Jesus, sitting at this meal, began to teach. As I said, what a great teachable moment. And then he turned his attention from the guest to the host. And beginning in verse 12, he says, he went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. In other words, you're not going to get any other blessing as a result of it. You just get to go eat again. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, all of those that the Pharisees tended to look down on who were not acceptable in their sight. And it says, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's an interesting thought, speaking of the hospitality and generosity, because that's really what it's talking about. One of the great virtues of, of a Christian is that we are to be hospitable. Back in Romans, the 12th chapter in the ninth through the 13th verse, and the 13th verse is really where the focus is, but it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Now here's verse 13 contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality, not just to our best friends. You know, it, it's easy when we have people in to have our best friends in, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we can, we can have our friends over, or we can go out to lunch after uh, church on Sunday. Uh, you can get together at other times. And, and when we have somebody over, we kind of expect them to reciprocate, that they're going to do the same thing for us, and we build those relationships. And I don't think the Bible's saying that we shouldn't have those relationships, but it's saying if that's all you have, who do you really minister to, and where is your blessing? I thought how it's important that we have people in, but sometimes we need to look around, especially in the church or in our neighborhood, and say, who can I get together with that I normally don't get together with? Who can I invite to lunch this Sunday that's different than whom I normally go to lunch with? Uh, who can I have over to my home that lives in my neighborhood or works with me or whatever that I can begin to share with them? Because, you see, that's when we begin to minister to others, not expecting them to have us over, not expecting them to spend time with us, 
But that's what Jesus was saying to this Pharisee. All you do is you have your friends and and you just sit and talk about those things that you are in agreement on and, and enjoy one another's company. And that's a wonderful thing. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that with our friends. But on the other hand, we also need to look for ways that we can minister to others as well. And who is there that needs an encouragement? Who is there that needs to be invited over? Well, these Pharisees were listening to this, and I think that the sting was a little bit there, and they were a little uncomfortable with it, and one of them felt that he had to respond. And listen to verse 15. It says, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, and, and you know, I read through several commentaries, and nobody really had an answer for what this means. It was just kind of a, a saying. It was something that they would just quote. It says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And of course, the Pharisees all expected that was them. And Jesus turned to him and he responded to him. And this talks about the lesson of opportunities that we have to minister. In verse 16 and 17, it says, He said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And the the tradition at that time was that if you were going to have a feast, maybe you had a wedding feast or something else, you would go to all your friends and all the people you're going to invite and say, would you come with us? Would you come with us and, and, and be at this feast? And one after another say, oh, man, we'd love to do that. That sounds great. This is a great activity. Uh, we want to be part of it. And so that's what we see here. He said uh, a man giving a big dinner, and he invited many, and that's the first invitation and then the second invitation is when the dinner's ready. And it says, at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, those who had already received the invitation, come. Come. For everything is ready now. Dinner's ready. It's a second invitation. You know, it really relates back to the Pharisees and the Jews at that time because they'd been told for generations that the Messiah was going to come. They knew that. They were waiting for him. This was something they were expecting. And yet when Jesus came, now was the time, now was when the Messiah came, they rejected him. They turned their backs on him. They no longer were looking for him. They had too many other things to do. And so it's a second invitation. Rather than saying, yeah, we're ready, they, they knew it was coming, they began to make excuses. I like this, this word, come. You know, when, when the invitation went out, and it's the same invitation that Jesus gives to us, it, it doesn't say, go and do this or do that, or you need to bring some, something with you where it's going to be a potluck, or can you bring some drinks or anything. It just says, come. Everything's ready. That's what... God says to us, I like the, um, the acrostic one person brought from this. He said, C stands for children. Children, come. O stands for older people. Older people should come. M stands for middle-aged. And E stands for everyone. Come. Everyone, come. And that's really the invitation we find from Jesus is come. We, we don't need to prepare anything. We just need to come as we are. And that's Christ's invitation to us. You know, there's an old hymn. They would sing it at the Billy Graham Crusades, Just As I Am. It goes, Just As I Am Without One Plea. 
but that thy blood was shed for me, and thou didst, and that thou didst bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And now I broke up my hymn. With many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears, within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of this one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am. There it is. Just as I am. Poor, wretched, blind. Sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all in thee, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God. Just as I am. You will receive, you will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because your promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Because of your promise, I believe. Because that's what you've promised. I don't have to bring anything else. I just come the way I am. And you receive me. And that was the picture here. The the host had invited them to come. Jesus invites us to come. And then they began to make excuses. They were, they were busy, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. It wasn't that he was saying he didn't want to come. It was that he was busy. He had something else he had to do. Uh, maybe a rain check. Uh, we'll come later. We'll come to the next feast. Just not this one. piece of land that I need to go look at it. Please consider me. I bought it already. You know, I, I think if I bought a piece of land, I probably would have checked it out before. I wouldn't wait until I, I had purchased it to go look at it, but this was his excuse. And others said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Could have done it later. He could have done it earlier. He should have done it before he bought them. He says, please consider me excused. They were, they were very nice. They were very formal about it. But, you know, we're just not going to make it. There's other things to do. If you buy a car, I hope you drive it before you pay for it. It's kind of the same way with the five yoke of oxen, isn't it? You don't wait until afterwards. But that was the excuse. And another said, I've married a wife. Oh, for that reason, she won't let me come. No, that isn't it. For that reason, I cannot come he didn't even make an excuse that uh, you know consider me excused he just said I'm married I can't come you know if, if you were married for the first year in Israel at that time or in Judea you couldn't be in the army you needed to be off for a year with your wife probably the same for work but that didn't apply to happy times and, and feasts and things where you ate he just simply said I, I'm not ready to come I don't want to come now and the slave came back and reported to his master, nobody wants to come. They've all gone back. They said they would come earlier, but they've rejected it. Maybe they want a second chance later. Maybe they just figure the opportunity will be there. He'll, he'll invite us again. In verse 21, And the slave came back and he reported to his master, and then the head of the household became angry. We uh, don't think about God getting angry with us, do we? 
See, he's loving and he's compassionate and he's caring. But when a person continues to reject, there's a point where God becomes impatient. He becomes angry. That's what it says here. That's really what it's talking about. He said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes, the cities, bring in here the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame, all of those who would have been unacceptable to the Pharisees, all of those who they said wouldn't get into heaven. He said, you go get them. The dregs of society, of our culture. And, you know, we see that a lot of times with people that come to know the Lord. They, they may not be the ones that we would expect or we would see as being able to give a lot. Slave said to the master, verse 22, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said, go out to the highways. Go out from beyond the city. Go out to the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And I think as we look at the, the passage there, it really relates to the idea of going to the Gentiles, people that weren't even Jews, and bringing them in, that the house may be filled. The invitation is made, what do we do with it? Do we accept it? Do we receive it? Or do we simply say, I'm too busy, I've got too much going on? Oftentimes, those that come to the Lord today are, are not the CEOs. They're not major politicians. They're not people that have a great deal. They're not the intelligentsia. They oftentimes are those who maybe don't have as much. And they're struggling in some area of life. And the reason they come is because they realize that God meets the need. They realize that he is the answer to the concerns of their lives. And Jesus says, come. Too often, I believe, as, as people, we put off Christ's invitations. God's invitation to come. And it seems like when a person puts God off so long, he says, later, later, I'll do this later, I'll receive Christ later, I have time. Somewhere down the line, they no longer feel the tug and the pull to come to the Lord. And they miss out. Because they miss the invitation. I, I, I would hope for us this morning, for each of us, that that would not be the case. But that we would say, okay, Lord, I'm ready whenever. I'm ready today. This is the hour. This is the moment. Verse 24 we close this it says for I tell you none of those men who were invited none of them who had the invitation none of them who had said earlier oh yeah I'm just waiting for the final invitation none of them will see the kingdom of God the opportunity was missed and so today we stop and we reflect on our lives and and, and the importance of being humble before God and humbling ourselves before him and realizing that he needs to be the focus of our attention and he needs to be the focus of our lives. We look at the idea of hospitality. 
And you see, these individuals were so caught up with themselves, they didn't have time to minister to others. It was what they wanted, being with their friends, doing their thing. Oh, we're so busy, we just have time for our friends and no one else. And therefore, they don't put the message out through their lives. And then there's the opportunity. God gives all of us opportunities to come. It, it may even be that God gives us opportunities after we become Christians. We commit our lives to Jesus Christ. We say, here I am, I'm ready, whatever you want, Lord. But when the opportunity comes, we say, oh, I'm busy with work and family and everything else. I'm just too busy. And we miss out on the blessing that God has for us. We go home, and I, I would encourage you to read through this parable again and ask yourself, where do I fit in? How, how is this talking to me? Am, am I the one who lacks humility? A, am I the one who lacks generosity and an attitude of hospitality? Or am I the one who just simply missed it because I was too busy? Where are we with God? You know, the, the interesting thing is that nothing those individuals were doing was bad. They were all good. You get a piece of land, you need to check it out. You get a new car, you need to drive it. You get married, you need to take some time. And I'll tell you what, not just that first year. <laughs> it takes a little longer than that. But what they did was they gave up the best for that which was good. And how often do we give up the best because we're so caught up with that which is good? Let's pray. Father, we come today. And uh, these parables have, have certainly shown me some things about Jesus and his heart and his love for people and the importance of being committed to you, Father, and living for you and ministering to others because that's what Jesus did. And he wasn't afraid to sit down and talk and share, and it didn't matter whether he was with good friends like Mary and Martha or whether he was with some tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes or whether he was with the <laughs> religious leaders of the day who weren't very spiritual. But he would share. And Father, help us to share, if, if nowhere else in our families to get together and just be able to sit down at a meal and talk and share and find out where everybody is and what they're doing. And, you know, at least take that time, Father. A teaching time. Help us to reach out to others. To have that attitude of generosity, that attitude of hospitality, Father, that says, I, I'm not just going to close myself off, but I'm going to be there to minister to the needs of my neighbors or minister to the needs of those in the church that don't always get invited by me or by someone else. Father, help us to see the needs and help us to understand when you say come. It's an invitation to all in terms of spiritual life, in terms of receiving Jesus Christ. Whether you're a child or you're older or you're middle-aged, everyone come. And so, Father, help our lives to reflect Jesus.
Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your ministry to us today through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.